Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to start reading again where we've been over the last long, quite a period of time about worship, but it's really headed somewhere. I picked up an old book that's not even out of print while we were away by Judson Cornwell called Let Us Worship. Last year when we were away, I read his book, Let Us Praise. Started out by talking of something that I've shared with you, that what changes us is an encounter with God. Because without the encounter, it's our relationship with Him is out of our mind. It's a concept, it's an idea. And that's fine as far as it goes. But you can't worship out of your mind. You can't really even praise out of your mind. It takes an encounter with God. And for each of us, that may be a little different. But he starts out talking about that. And I just felt as I went through this, he began to open my heart and understanding of more clearly, just confirming more clearly where I believe God's taking us and where we're going and even where we've come in terms of our study together and our learning together. And so we're going to, there's some things in, in this that, that, in fact, even this morning, the more I look into this, the more it becomes alive in me and the more I begin to see. I love the Word of God. I shared that with the leaders yesterday. God's, I mean, I love it because of what it's done for me, but it is alive. There's verses that I'm going over now that I have in, in many ways gone over almost every day for maybe 10, 15 years. And God's opening my eyes to see things in there I never saw before. Even yesterday, talking to the Connect leaders, I saw some things in there I never saw before. And then this morning, the Lord began to open my eyes to other things. Why? God's speaking to us. God's speaking to us. God. God is speaking to you and me to draw us closer to Him. Because he desires us. He loves us. He wants us to know him at a level that we've not used to knowing him. And he wants to know us at that level too. John chapter 4. Jesus with the woman at the well, which we've been using as our base for our study. And it's, it's going to head us somewhere when we, when we go on past this. And just read it here. We're going to start in, in, uh, in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor neither in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, we the Jews worship, know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We spent a long time looking at verse 23, where he says, And the Father longs for or desires as is seeking those that would worship Him that way, true worshippers. We're not going to go back over that. Then the last time before that we went away, we looked at, at this principle in here that Jesus is responding to her because she's teaching her about worship. And that's going to become important to us and where we're going to go with this. And, and she says, she raises this question. She says, well, where's the right place to worship? Our fathers, that's the Samaritans, worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews worship in Jerusalem. Where's the right place to worship? And Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. And we Jews worship what we know. What he's talking about there is the Samaritans had no covenant relationship with God. So they were worshiping God out of their understanding, limited understanding of what they thought God was. And yet they were trying to worship Him. 
He said, but the Jews have an advantage. He said, we have a covenant with God. God has revealed himself to us as Jehovah. Jehovah in all his aspects. Jehovah Jireh, his provider. Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. Jehovah Shammah, God's presence. All these different aspects of God, he's revealed them to us through our fathers. But that's not enough. Because although they worship what they know, that's not true worship either. Because there's an hour coming, and now is, when worship is going to come into its fullness, which is true worship. And he said, that is must be in spirit and in truth. And then this last verse is the key that we began to look at last time. Because what he says here is in order to worship, you must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, there's no other way to truly worship God unless the worship is in spirit and in truth. And what we're learning is what God means by true worship. All of us have some idea. I think a lot of people think worship is slow music and praise is fast music. (laughs) And it has nothing to do with the tempo of the music. It has nothing to do with any of that. And if we don't understand it, we don't know, we'll understand where God's calling us and recognize recognize it when it was here. We had a taste of it this morning. There was a taste of it here this morning. Just a taste, but it's a taste. And it's very encouraging. Because God, it's working. The Spirit of God's working. But see, the key to understanding this is then down in verse 24. Why, is, why, why does worship have to be in spirit? We'll talk about truth later on. Verse 24, because God is spirit. We've talked about the fact that uh, that. that we, a while ago, that in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says in a number of different ways to his disciples, he said that, that, that my prayer to my Father is because I'm going to go to the cross, we're going to be one. Just as I've been one with the Father, just as I've been in him and he's been in me, now because of what I'm going to do, I'm going to be in you and you're going to be in me. John 14, Jesus has this conversation with, with Philip. In fact, that's what I preached in the Dominican when we were down there. Jesus says, Philip comes and says, well, Lord, show us the Father. He says, Philip, don't you understand? If you've been with me all this time, you don't recognize that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Then he goes on to say that if you don't recognize it because of that, you ought to at least recognize it because of the works that I've done. Because, and this is the key, he says, it was the Father in me that did the works. Jesus is saying, I didn't do the works. I didn't open the blind eyes. I didn't unstop the deaf ears. I didn't stop the storm. I didn't feed the 5,000. It was the Father living in me who did that. And then he goes on to explain that by saying to you, them, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving you. How could it be to their advantage? They had him right there with him. He said, because the Father through the Spirit has been with you in me, but because I'm going to the cross, he'll now be able to be in you, not just with you. And then Jesus said to them, because of that, the works that I did shall you do also, and greater works because I go to the Father. And a lot of people out there teach, well, the works that we're supposed to do is preaching the gospel and saving people. We understand Jesus never had an altar call because he hadn't gone to the cross yet. The works that he did was opening blind eyes, unstopping deaf ears, 
meeting people's needs supernaturally. Those were the primary works that he did. And he's saying, those works that I did shall you do also. Why? Because the same Father that's been in me will now be in you. And then we looked at Ezekiel 37. He talks about how God's prophesying about the new birth. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to take out of you a heart of stone. Hard heart. Dead to spiritual things. Insensitive to spiritual things. You can't have a relationship with a rock. I know there were mood rocks years ago and people paint them and do things like that. I've got a rock on my desk where somebody in a prior church, some child, if it did a nice present for Pastor John. It was sweet, but I can't talk to that rock. And if it did or not talk back to me, because then i got some real problems. You can just have a rock. And God says, I'm going to take that heart of stone out of you and I'm going to put into you a heart of flesh. That's one that's alive, that's sensitive, that can feel but that's not enough. Then I'm going to put my spirit in you. We talked about why. And it comes into this concept where the Bible talks in many places, and we're going to look at some again this morning, where he talks about the communion. In fact, the last verse of of the second Corinthians chapter 13, the last verse talks about ending about the, the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the fact that he's talking about the predominant characteristic of each person of the Godhead. The predominant characteristic about God is he is love. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says you can do all kinds of things for him, but if it's not motivated out of love, and for God's kingdom it counts as nothing, because if it's not motivated by love, it doesn't communicate God, because God is love. It talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the gift of grace to us. John 1.17 says that, that, that in the word was manifest and we, we saw his grace and his truth. So he is the grace of God, the gift of grace of God. So the predominant characteristic of the Father is love. The predominant characteristic of the Son is the grace of God. Then what's the predominant characteristic of the Holy Spirit? The communion of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? And that's what we've been talking about. It's a Greek word that's koinonia. Koinonia. And I want to, we're spending time in it because some of you I know have read about it and studied it. We, of course, we celebrated, you did last week, communion. And, and, but what is that all about? What does that mean? Well, it, another word for it is fellowship. But the problem is with our spiritual vocabulary and vernacular, we hear the word fellowship and we usually think of hanging out together or eating or doing something and enjoying one another's company. And there's an aspect of that that is true, but there's a deeper meaning to it that has, that is critical for worship and is really the essence of why we can hang out together and enjoy one another's company and enjoy one another's fellowship. Because what the word koinonia means, which you'll see sometimes in your Bible is communion, sometimes you'll see it as sharing, sometimes it's translated as fellowship, but what the word literally means is experiencing and having something in common together. And so we've, I've used the example before of uh, years ago, this was probably, well, it's probably almost 50 years ago, there was a huge blackout and the whole northeast grid went out. And there were people, there were people that got on their elevators in New York and got on their elevators in Boston because it had around rush hour. Got on their elevator to go to, go down, to take that 30 second ride down 
to go out, get on their, get in the subway or wherever they're going to go home for the nice dinner, whatever they were going to. They got on the elevator and 10 or 15 hours later they got out. Because while they were in the elevator, the power went out. When they got on that elevator, most likely they didn't know anybody on the elevator. They may be people in that office building and said, oh, hello, nice to see you again. But they had no real relationship with them. I guarantee you that 15 hours later, they have a relationship. Why? Because they've gone through something together. I had an uncle that was in World War II. He was on a destroyer in the Pacific that was hit with a torpedo. And up until, well, he passed away, what, five or six years ago? It was one of that, seven, six or seven years ago. Up until then, and they may still, the men that were on that destroyer still got together that were left, that could, once a year. Sixty years later. Why? Because they went through something together. And what they shared in common was a bond between them that when they would get together or write together, they enjoyed the benefits and the experience of that bond. Everybody following me? But the enjoyment of it is not the bond itself. The bond, the joining together, is what allows you to enjoy the fellowship with one another. So what binds us together is the same spirit that lives in me is the same spirit that lives in you. The Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of unity. Which is why you... And I was sharing with people down there. Which is why we can have a church like this with people from all different kinds of nationalities. I don't know what it is now. We haven't taken a census. But five years ago, we had 30 nationalities represented in this church. From all different kinds of educational backgrounds. We've got doctor degrees in here. We've got doctors in here. We've got lawyers in here. even got one in the pulpit. We've got lawyers in here, doctors in here. We've got people that, that do very menial work all fellowshipping together, worshipping together, some of them serving under one another, has nothing to do with that. Why do we feel this bond and closeness with one another? It isn't anything to do with the outside, it has nothing to do with what we look like, it has nothing to do with our education. The same spirit that's in you is in me. That's why we feel a bond together. And when we come together, we get excited to see each other, and we get talking to one another, we're enjoying the experience of what we already have in common. You're following me? So that's why you come in, you can start, instead of praying as we're supposed to, you just start visiting with people. Because you're excited to see them. Find out what's been going on in their life. Why? Because you're enjoying what you already have in common with them. Worship is doing that with God. Worship, true worship, is enjoying and experiencing what it is we have in common with God. So that's why sometimes it's joyous and it's shouting, and yet it's worship, and sometimes it's quiet and still, and it's worship. And what we've learned is, the key here is, he says, you, in order to true, truly worship, you must worship in spirit. Why? Because God is a spirit. And what we have in common with him is the same spirit. Because what I taught you that Ezekiel 37 teaches, what Jesus is teaching, is when you came to Christ, God birthed in you by the Holy Spirit 
a, a spirit that was came out of him, just as he conceived in Mary's womb, the, 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 his son Jesus in her womb, he conceived in your heart. He took the old heart out, died. You died to you died to who you were, the old man, and God in, injected in you, conceived in you, a new life that's born out of him. John chapter 1 says, And to them that called upon him, he gave them the right, it says, to become children of God. Born not of the flesh, or not of the mind, but born of God. That word of in Greek is the Greek letter word preposition X, which means out of God. So the new birth is literally God's life was conceived in you. That's how you become a child of God. But then God didn't settle with that. God then takes His Spirit and puts His Spirit in you, and His Spirit now becomes fused together with your Spirit as a way of perfect communion together with Him. And I took you through scriptures we're not going to look at, how Paul teaches us in several places that our prayer life, our communion with God, our communication with Him is Spirit to Spirit. First John, First Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 10 talks about things our eyes have not seen. You hear me say that all the time. Things that your, your mind and your eyes can't see or understand, they're revealed to us. God communicates them by His Spirit to our spirit. Romans 8.26 talks about when we're praying and we don't know what to pray. The Spirit helps us because He prays with groanings that are too deep to be understood. That's God, your Spirit communicating back to God's Spirit perfectly to Him. Well, if that works in terms of prayer... It also works in terms of worship. So in order to truly worship him, we must worship him spirit to spirit because God is spirit. So we're going to begin to look at what that means and understand a little bit more of that. This is something that is not just intellectually understood. It has to be grasped with your heart. It has to be grasped with your heart. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We did look at this last time. I want to pick up here. Philippians chapter 3. Now Paul is addressing this letter to a church where Judaizers were coming in. What they were trying to do is they were basically trying to convince Christians that in order to be a Christian, you still had to be, you had to be a Jew first. And therefore you had to keep the law as well as receive Christ. You had to keep the sacrifices of the law and you had to be physically circumcised because in order to be a Jew, if you had been a Gentile and you converted to Judaism, you had to be circumcised because under the old, under the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17, God said that to enter into this covenant, a male must be circumcised in his flesh as a sign of that covenant. And so there were Christians that were Jewish Christians that were going around into churches convincing people that if you're, because most of the people in the, these churches were Gentiles that got saved. And they were saying, in order to really be a Christian, you've got to become a Jew first. So you have to be physically circumcised, which is why Paul refers to them here as the mutilation, which means the cutting of the body. And of course, that is not true. It is, a, it is, it is actually a heresy. 
Finally, my brethren, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you is safe. And for me to preach the same things to you is not tedious either. It's safe. Beware of dogs, not four-legged, two-legged dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. People that are going to come in and tell you that to be right with God, you've got to cut your body. For we are of the circumcision, this is the true circumcision, that worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, the true worshipers now are not gods that, are not those that worship God by something they do with their, in their flesh. True worship is something that's done by the spirit. And that's what Paul's saying here. True worship must come out of the spirit. All right. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and let's look at some aspects of worship and why this is so important. 1 Corinthians 10.14 Therefore, my beloved, flee from from idolatry. I speak to you as wise men and judge for yourselves what I say. Now, what he's talking about here is communion the way we mean it sharing the bread, and in that case it was probably the wine, is, is the act of communion, the Lord's table. But he's talking about this as worship, and it applies to worship. There's a principle here that's very important for us to understand, because there are things that you and I do that not only have a physical effect, but a spiritual effect. I think I mentioned last time, this is why you've got to be careful. This is what's dangerous about things like Ouija boards and astrology and things like that. Well, how can something like that hurt me? It can't in itself. A Ouija board can't hurt you, and reading your, your future through astrology can't physically hurt you. But here's where the danger is. This is what we don't often think of. Behind many things are spirits. And when you submit yourself to something that has a spirit behind it, you also open yourself up to that spirit. Well, how come Ouija boards work? Because there are things out there called familiar spirits. And those are demons that know things about your past or know things about your relatives because they were there when it happened. So they can show you things. And, oh, that must be God. That's why the Bible says, try the spirits. Test them to see whether they're of God. But the point is, behind many things that look, quote unquote, spiritual, there is a spirit. Not only that, you've got to be careful who you're listening to. Because the spirit that's motivating that person on TV or in a pulpit is what you're opening yourself up to. So it's not just whether I like what they say or I don't like what they say. What's the spirit that's behind that? Because that's what you're now opening yourself up to. And this is what Paul's talking about here. That's the principle Paul's talking about here. 
The cup of blessing which we bless, is that not the communion or the sharing together of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is not that the communion or the sharing together of the body of Christ? He's not saying that the bread gets converted into his flesh. Or the blood, the wine or the juice gets converted into his blood the way some of you were raised to believe. That's not what he's talking about. But what he's talking about is when you, when you eat that bread and you drink of that cup, you're opening yourself up, your spirit up to the spirit that's behind that. And he's talking here in these first few verses about Gentiles that had been saved out of pagan temples. And in those pagan temples, their way of worshiping their God, which was idolatry he's talking about here, their way of worshiping those false gods was by performing the same kind of sacrifices. They would sacrifice animals. In some cases, they would drink the blood. Now, the Jews were prohibited from drinking blood. And Paul's talking here about going back and attending a pagan worship service. And I'll show you that in a minute. And he said, be careful when you do that. Because the spirit that's behind that, you're now having communion with that spirit. You're sharing, you're opening your spirit up that was given to you to have because it's joined to God to be given to you to enjoy that union with God, you're now opening that spirit up, your spirit, to have some form of communion with a spirit that's not of God. Okay. That's what's involved here in the word communion here. It's not just the physical act of drinking the cup and eating the bread. Because all that bread will do is put weight on you. <laughs> the only physical effect it has is its calories. But there's a spiritual effect if there's a spirit behind it. Observe Israel after the flesh are not those who eat the sacrifices partakers of the altar. What am I saying to you then, verse 8, 19? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? No, you know, the, the idol's nothing. It's dead. It's not, there's nothing there. Rather, the thing which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. The demon that's behind the idol. The demon that's motivating the sacrifice. They sacrifice to demons and not to God. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. So the principle here is that there's an act of, of, of communion with or sharing, in this case it was those sacrifices, that is a fellowship with and a union with spirits that were not of God. Now this is in the context of a pagan service. And it was important to understand that because I used to get confused over this because what he goes on, because look at verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. You can't do both. Why? Sure you can. You can walk into the temple and you can drink the cup and you can eat the bread and you can go next door to the church and you can have the communion cup. and You can physically do that. But he's saying is you can't spiritually do that. Because you've been joined to God. And one who's joined to God cannot then turn around and join himself to another without separating from God. 
You can't be joined to both, is what he's saying, because they're diametrically opposed to each other. Two different kingdoms. That's what's involved here. Now, if you read on, he goes on and says, look, it doesn't matter where the food comes from. Somebody invites you to dinner. You don't need to ask, was this sacrifice? And I suddenly saw what the difference was. These verses we've been looking at are in the context of a worship service. But the rest of these verses he talks about, yeah, but don't, you don't have to worry about when you go to somebody's dinner, did that come from the temple of Diana's sacrifice? It's not the meat itself. It's the spirit behind the act of eating it. Everybody following me on this? Okay. All right. We're going to see that in another context here. And the reason we're going through this exercise is because it opens our eyes to the level of worship that that Jesus is talking about here. What's involved in worship is a spirit-to-spirit thing. And Paul is saying here, be careful what you do in the, in the context of worship, because if you're doing that in the context of something that has other spirits behind it, you're worshiping them. And notice he's saying you can't have fellowship with demons. You can't, because you have nothing in common with them spiritually, unless you separate yourself from God. Okay. Let's go over to Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verses that I'm sure if you've been around a Christian for very long, you know this. Let's look, start in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what, here's that word, fellowship. Now, if you've been around long enough, you know to not be unequally yoked means, a very basic meaning is don't get married to an unbeliever if you're a Christian. You're going to see why here that's so important. Sometimes you get some dear, sweet soul who says, yeah, but I love him. I love him. But I love her. She's beautiful. Well, that's the outside. Yeah, I know it says to not be unequally yoked, but, you know, he loves, you know, I, I can get him saved. That's not a good foundation for marriage. And so many Christians, especially young ones, think that this is some rule. God's got some rule out there that, you know, but, I, you know, but he's so beautiful. He's so handsome. He's so, you know, he loves me. But does he love the Lord more than you? Do not be, but it doesn't just mean marriage. It means any place where you join yourself together with someone. It can mean business. And I could tell you some stories about that, but we don't have time. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, the idea of yoking here was an oxen. A yoke of oxen were two oxen, two ox, two ox, yeah, two ox, with this wooden yoke over them so that together they would pull whatever the load was, whether it was a plow or a cart. So you had two independent ox, ox, who were now joined together by this mutual piece of wood that bound them together. And the idea here is to be bound. <laughs> you're, 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 you're one ox, and you're headed this way. And you're now 
under the yoke with another ox who's headed this way. And the yoke fits over both of your necks, but you're headed in opposite directions. Can you see how that might cause some trouble? Or you've, you're a strong, fairly strong ox, and you're now in a yoke with this little baby whose feet can't even touch the ground because the yoke's holding them up, which means you're holding them up. Can you see how that might slow you down in your walk with the Lord? All right. So it's not just some hard rule God has. It's a principle based on a reality, which is what we're looking at. Okay. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship, what in common has righteousness with lawlessness? But he's handsome. He's strong. He loves me. Oh, and I'm sure he'll love the Lord. You have obeyed Christ by giving your life to him. That handsome young man or beautiful young woman has disobeyed Christ by refusing to give their life to him. And therefore, they're lawless. What has in common righteousness with rebellion? Or lawlessness. Does God love and forgive? Absolutely. But we're starting out with what you've joined yourself to. Now, I'm not here to preach on marriage and unbelief. It's not what I'm about here. But that's what this is about. The idea of being joined together and what that means. So what Paul is saying is be careful who you're joined to because who you're joined to now affects you because you're now joined to that. Those of you who have been married understand that. This is why divorce is so painful. It's not just severing a contract. It's like ripping half of you out because you have been joined by God together. Does God forgive it? Absolutely. Does God love? Absolutely. Will God restore? Absolutely. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the understanding spiritually what union means, what communion means, what koinonia means, what that calving in common means. The effect of it is to our joined together. And when they're joined together, that means any kind of separation is ripping apart and any kind of looking in another direction is a pulling of it apart. That's the principle here. Okay. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion or in common does light have with darkness? And what accord or agreement does Christ have with Baliel? That's Satan. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God, which is what we are, with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, as a result of that I've joined myself to them, because I've come to live inside of them and joined myself to them. As a result of this, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Talk about the world. And don't touch what's unclean. And I will receive you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, chapter 7, verse 1, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. 
perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's some people out there today teaching the, that once you're saved, your spirit is so pure because it's been birthed of God that, that, that no filth can get in there. Well, this verse knocks that out of the park. Why? That's right. But if you join yourself to filth, if you join yourself to something else, then that begins to affect what was clean, which is why God's saying, don't do that. All right. We've got to move on, and then we won't get this all finished today, but we'll move into it. So that's what this is about. All right. Let's talk about this union. And this is, oh, you're going to, oh, this is good. First John chapter 3. This is what the Lord showed me when I, when I got up this morning and was going over things. And it's like, wow. Oh, look what the Lord has done. Ready for this? First John chapter 3. Behold, look, see, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That word manner or kind means what foreign or strange or unknown kind. So look, look at it. Behold, see, what kind of strange love, unknown type of love to us the Father has bestowed upon us. And what is that love? How does it show? That we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. The reason the world doesn't recognize what it means to be a Christian is it doesn't know Him, and you are joined to Him, and He's joined to you. Behold, now, not when you get to heaven, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now you're a child of God. If you've come to Christ, if you've received Christ, now. It's not something you're going to get in heaven. Now you are a child of God. But it's not yet been revealed to you. You've not yet seen what you're going to be, what this means. What we shall be. So we don't know all that this is going to mean in the future. But what we do know is this. But we know that when He's revealed, we shall be like Him. Woo! Why are we going to know it then? Because we're going to see Him as He really is. Here's what that means. John's saying, Wow! Look at the kind of love God has bestowed on us. Now we are His child. And it doesn't yet dawn on us all that this is going to mean. Wow! But this much we know, that when He comes back for us, we're going to see Him just as He is. And then when we see Him just as He is, we're going to say, Wow, I recognize what He's like, because He's like me, and I'm like Him. That shouldn't be strange, because our spirit's been born of God just like He's born of God, and God's Spirit's come in us and joined us together with His Spirit. So that all we're going to say is, yeah, I'm like you. Not maybe on the outside, but in here, because we already have this in common. And we'll just recognize what we already have in common. Oh boy, this gets better. Go over to chapter 4. Whoa. Mm. Mm. We sang earlier about how good God is. You're going to see it now. 
Verse 12, 1 John 4, 12. No one has seen God at any time. Why? Because he's a spirit. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. Because his spirit abides in us, that's why we know we belong to him. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior for the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You ready for this? Love is perfected. That means completed, fulfilled among us, in that we have be, so that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why can we have boldness in the day of judgment? Because as he is, so are we in this world. The only death you're ever going to experience as a Christian is the death you experienced when you came to Christ and your old man died and a new man was birthed in you. When you stand before him for judgment, I'm not talking about rewards. We're talking about the judgment of the right, the judgment of the eternal judgment. You're going to stand before him and you're going to say, he's going to, you're going to realize there's no fear there because I'm looking at my father. I'm looking at someone that I'm just like. I'm looking at someone I'm joined to. If there's anybody in this world that I should not be afraid of, it's my spouse. If there's anyone she shouldn't be afraid of, it's her husband. I'm not saying what's going on in every marriage, but I'm saying that's the idea. Why? Because we're joined together. If anybody has an interest in the succeeding, it's her and it's me. Because we're joined together. So when we stand before God, we're going to see more clearly that we have been joined together with Him. Galatians chapter 4. Oh, I want to get there today. Verse 4, Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart. Stop there a second. He didn't send the Spirit of His Son into your heart to make you a son. You were already a son when you were born again. This is Ezekiel 37. I'll take the heart of stone out, put a heart of flesh in. That's when God put a new spirit in you, born of him. But he said, that's not enough. He took his spirit and put his spirit in you. So it's because you are sons and daughters, God has put the spirit of his son in you. Look at the rest of that verse. Crying out, Abba, Father. The spirit of his son, the spirit of of his son. The spirit of his son is in you helping your spirit cry back to its father, Abba, Father, because our spirit doesn't know how to do that because we're still so much aware of who we were. 
So the Holy Spirit's in us, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Son of God, who knows how to cry out of a Father to His Father, is showing us, you're like me, I'm like you, therefore you can cry out to Abba Father just as I can. Luke chapter 3, Jesus says, comes out of the water, having been baptized in the water by John the Baptist. The heavens open, the Spirit of God comes down on him and descends on him. And, and the voice from heaven speaks out, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the result, the proof of that pleasure was God sent forth his Son, his Spirit into his Son. In the same way, the evidence and proof of God's approval of you as a child as he sent forth the spirit of his son into you crying back to him, Abba, Father. We're going to learn that whenever God draws us to something, whenever God calls us to something, he provides the means to do it. He puts in you what it takes to give it back to him. Romans, Romans 5, 4 says, 5, 5 says, for, for the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's for us to know the love of God for us, but it's also so we can give it back to Him. Here God's saying, I want you to worship me as Father. So what has He done? He's put the Spirit of His Son into us, who knows what it's like to cry, Abba, Father, to show our spirits how to cry, Abba, Father, back to Him. Because the Spirit was given into the Son, as evidence of the Father's approval of him as a, Behold, my beloved Son. When God put his Spirit in you, God was saying, Behold, my beloved Son or daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Romans chapter 8, and we'll close with this. Oh, this is what it's leading up to. I can't close without doing this. Oh. Romans 8. Let's start in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the deeds to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again leading to fear. This is what John was talking about. You have received the Spirit that's born of God, and you've received God's Spirit, and they are joined together. They are in communion with each other. They are of koinonia. They share this together, and that's why you don't need to fear the day of judgment. That's why you don't need to be afraid of God, because as He is, so are you in this world, because you're one with Him, and He's one with you. It's Him He's looking at when He's looking in you. Ready for this? But without it, it's a spirit of... You did not, not receive a spirit of bondage leading into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And look at verse 16. And the Spirit Himself living in you, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. Bears witness with our spirit. Bears witness means to reveal to us prove to us, show to us, as evidence to us, bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. The Holy Spirit in you's job is to bear witness. To, you know, when we're one with one another, we say, yeah, I know you, I know you. I recognize that we're together. I recognize we belong to Faith Christian Center together. 
You meet somebody out in the mall somewhere and say, yeah, here we go for the Faith Christian Center. Something you have in common is you bearing witness with each other. Yes, this is what we share together. This is what we have in common together. And the Holy Spirit in you is in there to bear witness to you. To bear witness to you of what you have in common with God. And it's His Spirit and your Spirit together. And worship is an expression and enjoyment of what we have in common with Him. Not how we look on the outside. Not all the outside stuff that we pay so much time attending to. But it's the inner man. It's the joining together of His Spirit with my Spirit. And this is why God did it. So we can worship Him out of our spirit to spirit. Celebrating, enjoying the fact that I'm His child and He's my Father, that we're one together, that He perfectly understands me. And as we worship more, He's going to give us revelation so that we have more of an understanding of Him and of His heart and of what's important to Him. Woo! If we don't understand that, we think worship's a slow song. And we miss it. Let's pray. Father, we sang earlier today about the greatness of our God. And Lord, as we've looked into your word today, Father, sometimes I see things about your goodness and your greatness. I can't find words to express. I'm just in awe of you. I pray today, Father, that your precious spirit takes what we've heard and the glimpses that we've seen and begins to do in others what you've been doing in me and causes to mature and to grow. Jesus taught that the word of God is a seed sown in our hearts. Lord, my prayer today is the seed that's been sown in all of our hearts may grow and become strong and produce fruit that's 30-fold, 60-fold, and even 100-fold in our lives. You're drawing us to be true worshipers. You've put in us what's needed to do that. Now all we need is the understanding to know how to cooperate with your Spirit in order to satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. And what we may not realize yet is the deepest longing of our hearts. Our trust is in you because we don't know how to do this. We know that because you're calling us to this, we say, yes, Lord, here we come. And we'll trust you every step of the way. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.